You're listening to the EFC Podcast. Alison Alley is the fourth president of Compassion Canada. Before that, she led Compassion's advocacy team. And before that, she worked in the world of business and finance. My name is Karen Stiller. And in this interview, which I have to say I thoroughly enjoyed, Alison shares her heart for this work, what she's learned about her own poverty of being, which is an idea that I think will deeply resonate with you like it did with me, and how she stays spiritually strong in what can be a very difficult but rewarding work. This interview is also in the March-April 2020 issue of Faith Today magazine, along with other great stories. If you'd like to check out Faith Today, email me directly at senioreditor at faithtoday.ca, and I'd be happy to send you a copy. Allison, in October of 2019, you became the fourth president of Compassion Canada. So the first thing I want to ask you is, how is it going? <laughs> well, Karen, that is a great question. And um, what I would say, first of all, is that it is going well. Praise God for that. I feel um, a lot of peace and anticipation. I feel confidence in the team that God has built here long before I even arrived and the new sense of team that he continues to build in this season of transition. Uh, I'm also thankful for uh, the length of transition that I had with Barry. Uh, I had the privilege of working alongside him for about 18 months and had the opportunity to methodically and prayerfully uh, learn about the history of this organization, learn about uh, the current happenings from his perspective uh, in a way that gave me just enough time over the summer to rest up. I took some uh, extended vacation to rest up to be able to uh, hit the ground running with the team in October. So I'm very thankful, as I said, for how well it is going and for the team and support and the spirit, I would say, uh, that I'm experiencing in this place. Now, you were uh, a financial planner. That's what you studied. And you had a career in financial planning. And then you shifted into Christian not-for-profit work. Uh, Tell us about that transition. And do you ever miss that world you came from? (laughs) So that transition at the time may have felt to myself and to those around me, perhaps abrupt and like a really significant shift. And yet God had planted that seed in my heart a long time before that and really was leading me on a path um, uh, that led to that moment. And a little bit of background would be, I actually uh, went to Youth with a Mission and experienced some time in Chiang Mai, Thailand, where I was not just uh, teaching English as a young adult, but was also engaged in various missions and evangelism work. And as you can imagine, as I was there, I encountered things like extreme poverty, child mortality, child trafficking, in a way that absolutely broke my heart. And so from that moment on in my life, I would have articulated a sense that God was calling me into a life of ministry and specifically uh, to advocate on behalf of the poor and the marginalized. But that would end up sitting on the back burner of my life for about a decade uh, for a variety of reasons that I would now articulate as God equipping me and and challenging me and growing me through uh, a faith-based community, through the marketplace community, through education community, until the time that he was ready for me to enter into ministry. Um, The other kind of launching point for me to make the move from the finance industry into the not-for-profit was actually the birth of my own kids. And, you know, in light of this burden that I had, you know, as a young adult for kids in poverty, it was reawakened in a new way as I became a mom to two young kids. And there was this defining moment where I would say God really 
uh, removed my blinders and my barriers and reawakened me to the sense of calling and to the reality that my kids uh, were provided certain opportunities just because of the privileged house that they were uh, or family that they were born into. And that um, not only that, but as a mom, there were other moms around the world that wanted their kids to just survive, never mind thrive. And so that really catapulted my husband and I. This was not just my journey, but very much our journey to say, what do we want our life to be about? Um, and that ultimately led to me entering into Compassion's ministry. Wow, I, lo- I love that. So you're sense as a business person uh, and your abilities and experience as a business person, how will that shape how you lead compassion or, or does it? <laughs> well, one of the things that uh, I was reflecting on early on when I started at Compassion before I uh, moved into this role was just the uniqueness of leading in a faith-based organization, but specifically a faith based charity that's focused on international development. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, to, in order to make the maximum impact on the lives that God has called us uh, to serve in the lives of children and families, it really does require three different, I would call them kind of prongs of leadership or elements of leadership. And number one is to be a shepherd, to be able to invest in and lead and guide and shape and develop and disciple our staff so that they can go and do that as well as they build relationships with Canadians. Um, And so that led me to go to seminary uh, to really grow in that area. Uh, The second is what I would call a practitioner, someone who understands international development and can really speak about the complexities and have a working knowledge of the complexities uh, at play around the world uh, in both the context of affluence here in Canada, but also in the context of extreme poverty. And so a lot of my learning has come, you know, in my time here at Compassion, growing under Barry and other leaders and as I've been traveling around the world. Um, But I did also have the privilege of studying international development as well. Um, But the third, and to your question, is, you know, as a charity, a large portion of our work is focused on uh, raising resources, raising awareness, and then stewarding, stewarding them on behalf of kids and families. And so my role involves leading, um, you know, marketing teams and leading technology and leading customer service and human resources. And so the experience and the knowledge base that can be found in the marketplace, in the for-profit sector is certainly transferable in the work that we do here. So we can best steward the resources that God has entrusted to us. Yeah. Uh, Allison, years ago, my undergrad degree is actually in international development studies um, from a long time ago. And when I graduated in 1990 with that degree, I was actually left feeling like there are no answers. (laughs) There is no solution. Um, And yet I feel like there's been this big shift, you know, in the world in terms of poverty in particular, that it feels like there is an answer and we are getting better and we are doing better and children in particular are um, living better lives in a lot of majority world countries. Can you give us um, sort of a bird's eye view of compassion's perspective on that? Is there a solution? Uh, Well, yeah, first Karen, I would say absolutely. There has been incredible progress made 
So in the last um, 25 years or so, we've seen a dramatic reduction in extreme poverty. In 1990, approximately you know, 35% of the world's population lived on less than $1.90 a day. And today that number is less than 10%. So incredible progress has been made. Uh, now, there is a lot of changing realities that those involved in our work are confronted with. You know, the vast majority of people are living in middle income countries. And so where we used to look at national trends and national data, we're now looking at subnational data and understanding the pockets of poverty within the countries that we work. Um, there's new forms of vulnerability that's happening around the world. Uh, rise in political instability, as we know, religious fundamentalism. There's rise in environmental vulnerability. Um, and we have our eye a lot on this thing called inequality, mm -hmm. which continues to be um, this ongoing barrier to progress. And I think from Compassion's perspective, when we think about inequality in particular, we look at gender inequality, which is persisting but slowly getting better. Um, but there's two key elements of inequality that uh, we have our eye on. One is um, inequality in basic capabilities. These are actually decreasing as well. So I talked about extreme poverty trends, but within that, you know, access to education, access to healthcare, um, you know, that is going up, praise God for that. But inequalities in enhanced capabilities, uh, which is where technology and more formal training comes in, are actually increasing. And so there's these new forms of inequality that are starting to show up that we recognize that we need to tackle to be able to continue the trends of progress that we're seeing. Um, but from Compassion's perspective, to answer your question, yes, not only are we seeing this progress, but we are seeing uh, the church, you know, the church being the hope of the world, the church being, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the tangible and visible expression of the person of Jesus making a radical impact in the lives of children and families and communities around the world. And that is something we continue to celebrate. Yeah, that sounds so exciting and promising. And I'd love to talk to you about the role of the church because my understanding of compassion is that you work specifically and deliberately with local churches and communities. So can you unpack that for us, why that is so important? And, you know, for us as Canadians um, living in our communities, sometimes uh, it's hard to imagine the church, our local church, being the center of, you know, community development. And it feels like that mm. doesn't happen here. So talk to us about that, Alison. I'd love to hear about the role of the church yeah. overseas. Yeah. So first of all, Compassion partners exclusively with local churches. That's how much we believe in them. And so we uh, partner with over 8,000 local churches in 25 countries, allowing kids then to be known, loved, and protected by members of their own community. And so, first of all, we would say that uh, theologically, the church has the calling to be the hands and feet of Jesus in their local community. The church has the calling to live out the, um, uh, the verbal expression and the proclamation of the gospel, but also the social action part of it in caring for the practical needs of their community. So that's number one. But churches also have 
uh, the capacity. Uh, they have physical capacity, uh, whereby they'll have infrastructure and buildings. Uh, they also have staff and resources and leaders that makes them very well suited uh, to meet the needs of their own communities. Uh, of course, they have the proximity. So, you know, churches that we work with are in the context of extreme poverty. And so they're right there in the thick of it. Um, they were there before Compassion partnered with them. We trust they will be there after Compassion partners with them as they continue to invest uh, in their own communities. But they also have the credibility when you partner with churches who then work with local leaders and invest in local families, um, they are then uh, the shining beam of hope and love in their communities in a way that not only um, illuminates who Jesus is, but really illuminates the role of the church in, in that community. And I remember uh, so provocatively, I was in Ecuador several years ago now, but it still stands out to me. And uh, the short version of the story is we were in a, a pretty dangerous area in Ecuador where it was, you know, don't bring anything with you, an area known for violence and gangs, um, certainly in the context of extreme poverty, of course. And we were visiting this church, hearing about the impact they were making when I realized I forgot my water bottle you know, back in the bus. And the translator said to me, oh, you need to go with the pastor to go get it. You know, you can't go with myself or the translators. And I thought, well, the pastor, surely he has more important things to do. But sure enough, I walked with the pastor. As we were walking, there was a gentleman that started walking towards us. And I will admit to you, um, if I were walking by myself on that street, I would have been a little bit uncomfortable. My gut reaction was that I, I may not have felt safe. Um, increasingly, as we were walking, he crossed the street and started picking up his pace and then started kind of running in our direction. And when he was a couple feet in front of us, I kind of grabbed a hold of the pastor thinking this is not going to be good. Uh -huh. When to my surprise, he wrapped his arms around the pastor and gave him the biggest hug. And they started kind of bantering back and forth like long lost brothers. And when he left, I kind of looked at the pastor and he laughed and he looked at me and he said, that is the leader of the local gang. But his son is in the child development center in our church. And so the pastor not only loves and respects the work that we do, but his gang protects my staff and the work at the church. And I thought, wow, there's the <laughs> impact of the church at work. That is amazing. That is a great story. Allison, I, when I've traveled overseas, not, not nearly as much as you have, I'm sure, but when I've encountered the local church and had the privilege of, you know, participating in their life, you know, even for a day or two, I'm always deeply touched. My own faith is built and I have the feeling of I am seeing the church doing what the church does best, like being so present and so alive in a community. And I'm wondering, um, Allison, like what you have learned and witnessed in the church overseas that we can learn from as the Canadian church. Yeah. Like, how can we be more like that? What I often say is that I, as I've engaged in relationships with those around the world, I've come to discover in my own life what I would now call the poverty of the non-poor. And the outcome of my learning, which I, you know, I'll talk to the learning specifically, but the outcome of the learning for me is that I've gained eyes to see my own poverty of being, you know, this inflated sense of self and God complex that can often come uh, in our Western way of life. I've 
uh, come to see my own poverty of community, the sense of individualism and uh, consumerism that can come to play, uh, my own poverty of spiritual intimacy, where, you know, in light of not having to trust God for my literal daily bread, somehow I can miss something in providing for myself and depending on myself. And of course, you know, a poverty of stewardship in, as I said, you know, consumption habits and materialism and the way I think about the resources entrusted to me. And so, yeah, as, as I've traveled around, I've learned that there is this availability that is on display in the church where, you know, that it isn't just a Sunday morning, you come to this building and we engage in a service together. There's an actual, the physical building is available as a literal place of refuge, which I think is really interesting. Where, you know, when it's raining, people will come to get away. When, uh, when they're fleeing violence in their home, they'll come to the refuge and the safety of the staff and the church. Uh, there's, of course, um, a relational availability where they do life together in an ongoing way. And a lot of that is reflected in, you know, a warm culture versus cold culture or, you know, collectivist cultures versus, versus individualistic cultures. But it really is made quite evident uh, with the church. Um, there's hospitality, you know, the way that they invite people in, share meals together, share life together. Uh, but there's also an, an interdependence. Uh, I remember when I was in Alira, Uganda, it's in Northern Uganda, and I was worshiping at a church on a Sunday morning and they were taking the um, local or the, the morning tithe and offering. And so, you know, very similar to what we do here, this kind of uh, plate went by and people put their money in. But then at the end of that, people then brought up to the front of the church um, other items that they had. There was corn and there was beans and they kind of sat them at the front of the church. And then the pastor held them up one by one and auctioned them off for those who may have had money but actually needed corn and beans. Uh, and then those you know, funds that were raised were given back to the church. And it was just this visible interdependence of bringing what you have uh, to meet the need of not only one another, but also to give to the church. Oh, that is, that is amazing. I, I'm, as you were speaking, I was thinking about generosity and hospitality and um, that that is something that I think we are all impacted by when we see that in action overseas. But your organization is um, like sort of calls Christians and challenges Christians here to be generous and to give. And, you know, you're obviously deeply involved in the work of philanthropy. So can you speak to me um, about the role of generosity in the life of a Christian and, and yeah. how you've seen that impact faith? Yeah. Well, it says in Luke 12, 48, that to whom much is given, much is required. And to whom much is entrusted, even more will be asked. And what we know, what, what you know, a lot of not just Christ followers, but Canadians know is that we have been given much. We are, you know, even those in modest income in Canada are within the wealthiest 1% of the world's population. And so what does it look like to be faithful with what God has entrusted us to? Um, but one of the things that we've been talking a lot about as an organization is, is not just our financial resources, but our time and our talents and our passion, um, our circles of influence. What does it look like for us to steward all that we are and all that we have 
towards accomplishing God's purposes in the world. And we know that when we do that, we experience faith in new ways. We experience trust and dependence in new ways as we choose uh, to give to God what's God's and to you know give to others out of our abundance, trusting from an abundance perspective that God will continue to provide. But I think also in the spirit of not just financial generosity, but giving our whole selves, there's something incredible that not just can happen, that we've seen happen through the ministry of compassion, where as lives are shared, as relationships are shared, we can continue to impact one another, grow um, in our learning from one another as we grow closer to God and grow closer into the image of God. And it really does come back to, you know, similar when I talked about my own learning and my own sense of impoverishment. You know, mutuality is just a fancy way of saying we ought to acknowledge that uh, we all have assets, God-given assets, as people who were created in His image, and we all have needs and deficits, um, and we all have something then to offer to the other, and we all have something to receive, and that happens in the context of relationship. And so at Compassion, certainly as I enter into this new season as the new leader, I'm pretty excited about the role of Compassion as a bridge between the resourced uh, Christians in Canada and the under-resourced Christians around the world, where God can use us to facilitate this exchange of relationship and this growth that can happen on both sides. Yeah. Allison, in your work, I'm guessing that you see, or you certainly will in the years ahead, like uh, really beautiful things. And I think you've shared and helped us see a little bit of that, but also really, really hard things sometimes and such contrast um, between what maybe what you see when you travel and then when you return to your own home in London. And I'm wondering how you care for yourself spiritually mm-hmm. and keep yourself strong in this kind of, I think, work that must be incredibly rewarding, but also taxing in a way that other work may not be sometimes. Yeah, it, it is most definitely a tension that needs to be managed where you are you know, navigating the context of both extreme wealth and opulence and extreme need and really uh, stewarding those stories and those encounters uh, well on behalf of uh, the kids and, and families that we serve. And so, yeah, that is a tension to manage. Uh, one of the things that was impressed upon me early on when I started actually in seminary was you know, how to lead out of your being and not just lead out of your doing and how critical it is uh, to care for yourself and to build the rhythms and the relationships that will both create and then sustain the life that God invites us to live for his glory. And so I went through uh, the exercise of reflecting and then creating, you know, what are those rhythms and relationships that I ought to uh, prioritize, whether it be time with God, time with others, time with my husband, uh, rhythms daily, weekly and quarterly of resting, times of refreshment, um, and reaching out, connecting in uh, local needs and incarnational ministry needs. And so I was able to to map that out and to design these rhythms um, in ways that I continue to stick to. So I am a relatively disciplined person. 
that make small choices, but have made a big, big impact in my life as a leader where, you know, proactively getting these most critical things in my calendar first, as I said, time with God, marriage time, family time. I have two kids, a 10 year old and an eight year old that need their mom. Um, you know, time with God, time with friends who can know me as Allison, that can hold me accountable in my own life journey as a Christ follower time, you know, with my local church. And so, um, you know, the discipline to choose those first, the relationships that can hold you accountable, and then the acknowledgement that you're going to fail time and time again, and to keep evaluating how to uh, navigate and adjust these plans and these rhythms um, to be to be who God has called me to be. So yeah, it is, as I said, attention to manage, and one that does require a lot of intentionality and proactivity, and then relationships to hold you accountable. Allison, what can we expect to see from Compassion in the next little while or in, in the years to come? Will, will your uh, leadership era usher in some changes or is it, um, you know, keeping on the steady path you've been on for a while? Hmm. Well, what won't change is our continued focus on being Christ-centered, child-focused, and church-based. So we will continue to be an organization that is not just compelled by the gospel uh, to prioritize kids and the poor, but expresses the gospel tangibly um, in the work that we do. That will continue. We'll continue to be church-based and partnering, not just with local churches in the context of extreme poverty, but prioritizing and investing in and learning from uh, churches here in Canada. Uh, and also, of course, being child-focused. We recognize that in the context of human development, which is the work that we do, starting early matters. There's a new body of research that talks about how critical it is that babies and children are prioritized in their earliest days so that they can then uh, flourish and grow and contribute as adults in the working world around them. And so we will continue to do that. But as we look ahead and uh, we recognize that while we are serving over 200 million children living in extreme poverty, there are still 385 million children by some accounts living in extreme children, 1 billion children um, by other counts living in poverty, that our work is still not done. And so as we look ahead, we are working towards a world where every child can be released from poverty and have the opportunity to flourish in Christ, which is mean that we are, uh, it means that we're looking at new ways, new ways of operating programmatically, new ways to keep kids on the agenda here in Canada, new ways to partner with other like-minded organizations who are also advocates for kids. Uh, we also uh, want to um, invest in and mobilize, as we talked about earlier, every Jesus follower and want to encourage them to join God in advancing his mission, not ours, his mission mm -hmm. of justice and compassion in their own backyard and certainly around the world that they would, as I said, steward all that they are and all that they have on behalf of his purposes. So we're really excited to expand our thinking and our reach here in Canada and that through it all, we would have uh, and play one small part in seeing every life transformed in the process. That it wouldn't just be about kids being released from poverty um, around the world in the context that, that we work, though that is, of course, a critical goal for us, a critical part of our mission. 
but that God would use compassion and the opportunity to be a bridge that builds relationships to see lives changed here in Canada. Allison, I believe that you are going to do that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much, Allison. Thanks, Karen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.